0: Welcome back to the Wise Athletes Podcast with Joe Lavelle and Dr. Glenn Winkle. On today's episode number 47, I am delighted to be joined by Christine Bell, the Aussie PT. Christine is a physical therapist and coach for endurance athletes. She is well known for her ability to identify root causes of pain and for her ability to resolve the underlying functional problems using hands-on techniques and dry needling. I have been on the receiving end of Christine's dry needles myself. And as a person who does not care much for needles, trust me when I say there is no pain involved and rapid improvement is the payoff. I asked Christine to help us better understand the mechanics of dry needling and to collect her top tips for older athletes on staying healthy and in using good judgment to distinguish between pain that is a temporary nuisance versus pain that is a signal to seek professional care. All right, let's talk to Christine. Christine, welcome to the Wise Athletes Podcast. I appreciate you taking some time to help us out.
1: Thanks, Joe. It's lovely to be here.
0: As you know, Christine, the focus of the Wise Athletes Podcast is the older athlete and how they can improve athletic performance today and retain their athletic capability for a long time. One of the problems that older athletes have is that they get injured, and you are in the business of fixing injured athletes.
1: <laughs> no, so I am. I'm
0: thinking, <laughs> thats right I'm thinking you're going to help us out here and you in particular, because uh, people I know and the testimonials I've seen on your website with uh, some names that everybody would know, and you can mention them if you're willing to, and and even myself, I, based on the work you've done for me, we all say the same thing. You treat injured athletes who then go back to doing what they love, and then they go tell everybody how great you are. (laughs) So let's start with the why are you so good? Why are you so effective at helping athletes recover from their injuries so well?
1: Thank you, Joe. That's a very um, kind comment. I like to think that uh, possibly the first thing that I look at when an athlete comes to me is that I'm looking not just at the uh, painful spot but um, more the cause of the injury. So if someone comes in, say, with a calf strain or something, yes, I will treat the calf strain, but then I'm also looking to see, so why is, why did this person hurt their calf? And there's usually multiple reasons for that. It can be an overload in training. It can be some nutrition. It can be, uh, you know, an incident that happened. But then also it can be something that's else that's going on in their body further up or down the chain that we need to address that is directly influencing that injury. Huh? So um, I think that perhaps looking at the global person, um, you know, the whole body is sometimes a really good thing. The other and the how I can do that in my practice is that I've designed it so that I allow an hour for each appointment. So, I really get to know my clients. I can ask them a lot of questions and we can really kind of figure out together why they're injured and and how we can kind of devise a plan for them getting back to doing what they like to do.
0: Great. So, it's you take a holistic perspective and then you make sure you have enough time to allow that.
1: Yeah, I think time is a real issue. You know, I don't know. And I have worked. I've been a PT for many years, over 20 years. And I've worked in these big clinics where you have 20 minutes, half an hour for a client, and you get them back, you know, two or three times a week. But you never really have enough time to kind of really get to know them and to delve into, you know, what's going on. So when I started my own practice, I really wanted to have enough time to look up and down the chain and to talk to the person and, and really find out what it is that they're doing that is creating that issue. You know, so for a lot of people who, after COVID, came in to see me, and they're like, oh, my neck and my shoulders. And, you know, and so we discussed a lot of to- a lot about how people went from, you know, their, their setup at work, which was great ergonomically, to sitting at a table at home or on the couch or whatever. And, and that's, sometimes um, contributed a lot to their pain in their shoulders or their neck. And how, so we talked about how we can change that setup and what might be better, different types of equipment and, you know, shifting furniture around that kind of thing.
0: I'm going to want to get back into some of these lessons learned toward the end. But I think the next thing that would be useful for you to tell us would be just give us more of the backstory, you know, your journey, Becoming a healthcare provider that has taken you from, I guess, why you were interested in it to how you know what you know today.
1: So I uh, grew up in Australia, and I my primary sport was basketball. I played in the um, National Basketball League over there in Australia, and then eventually in the UK and in Europe, and. I was always spraining my ankle. So I was always going to the physio, which is what we call them in Australia back then. And, um, you know, they helped me a lot. And so I, I, you know, I just kind of always wanted to be a a physical therapist. Initially, what I did is I did an exercise physiology degree, so a sports science degree at University of Queensland. And then I did my um, physiotherapy degree in um, South Australia, University of South Australia, and went on and did my master's at um, MGH, IHP, so Institute of Health Professions in Boston, specialising in orthopaedics. And so I guess being an athlete myself, I found that I had a little bit more insight into what could cause different things um, and, you know, how to, how to get back from injuries because I've had these injuries myself and mm. I had treated a lot of people, you know, I'd had teammates that had injuries. And we we had our own physical therapist, you know, for my sporting teams. But um, it became clear to me that, you know, sometimes I would say, oh, so, you know, we shouldn't really be doing ply... Often we'd be doing like on-court drills and off-court drills. And so like, well, this person really shouldn't be doing the plyometric drills because of their injury. And they were like, oh, yeah, that's a really good point. But <laughs> I guess... Because I was kind of involved in it, I could, I could see that. And then, of course, that transition to, you know, doing triathlon and running and, and things like that. I, I'm a bit of a sports junkie. I've played nearly every sport at some kind of level. So I feel like I have some idea of um, the human body and what is required of it in most sports.
0: Okay, great. Going back to um, my experience with you, I remember when I was first told that, oh, you know, you really should go see Christine. I was told that you did dry needling, and and my reaction was, what's dry needling? It didn't sound very good. <laughs> Anything yeah, with needle it. in it doesn't sound very good. But what I just had no idea what it was. So really, what I'm hoping to do today is really kind of hit a bit of a deep dive on what is dry needling and how it helps. You know, what sort of problems does it solve, you know, to the extent that you think that it's important how people can find a person who knows how to do it well. But let's start with just the role of dry needling in the context of your set of treatment techniques. Because when I look at your CV and when you described your history, you started as a physical therapist, but you then later added dry needling. Why did you decide you needed to know how to do dry needling?
1: Dry needling is very effective for a lot of sports injuries. So, going back just a little bit, initially, dry needling is relatively new and it's based on trigger points. And there are some people, um, Travell and Simons, who did a whole series of research into the referral patterns of different trigger points. And as a PT, as a physical therapist or physiotherapist, we were taught how to treat these trigger points with your hands. So we would apply pressure and hold and then try and work the trigger point out. The problem with that is that often in very deep muscles, it's quite hard to get to those trigger points because it's quite deep into the muscle. Okay. You know, that's the beauty of a needle because a needle is this, you know, a dry needle is this very fine acupuncture needle. That's the only similarity between dry needling and acupuncture is the actual needle, but I can get, I can palpate the trigger point and I can feel it's really deep in the muscle, but instead of trying to go through all that outer tissue and then bruising and I don't know, causing some um, destruction of the outer tissue, I can get to that trigger point and release it. The other thing is it, it takes, it's like a second, you know, I can go into it, into that trigger point and boom, we get a twitch response and it's released Whereas if I'm using my hands, I have to hold that trigger point for like 30 seconds, a minute, maybe come in and out multiple times. Whereas the needle, it's so efficient and effective, it can get to things that your hands can't. And so I guess, so I can treat a bigger area in a much shorter space of time, and then people can kind of get back to doing what they want to do.
0: I understood what you said, except for the part about referral patterns.
1: Okay. Yep.
0: And so I think you should turn this in more into like a layperson description of.
1: Okay. Yep.
0: I don't even know what a trigger point is, really. Maybe you could explain.
1: Sure. So a trigger point is, it's like a a little lentil. It can be like a point, like a lentil un- that you can feel underneath your skin. Some people will call it like a knot, or it could be like a raised, thick band of muscle tissue that feels kind of ropey and stringy.
0: Like it's tight? Is that what? Yeah, that-
1: mm-hmm. so okay. it's tight. What happens in a trigger point is it's like the electrical center point of the muscle. So it's switched on all the time. And so why it's switched on is usually it's an overuse kind of pattern. And then also it can be switched on from a spinal reflex, as a, a spinal tightness or restriction.
0: Like it's trying to protect you or or something?
1: Um, So just for instance, so if you think in your low back is L5, S1, are the two last kind of last part of your lumbar spine and the first part of your sacrum, okay? And, And the nerve that comes out through there supplies your calf muscle, okay? So you might have these taut, thick bands in your calf muscle, okay?, And often you have these taut thick bands or that L5-S1 area is restricted. So we're going back to treating the whole person again. And so not only do I need to needle that calf, but I need to needle and loosen up that section in your back.
0: And you're treating the muscles in the back to get at that or the nerve?
1: No, I'm treating the the muscle to allow the joint to move to free the nerve up. Yeah.
0: Okay. So the tight muscles in the back have put a pinch, for lack of a better word, on the nerve, Mm -hmm. which is then affecting the calf. Correct. But to to help the calf, you need to deal with the nerve and the muscle in the calf, which has been sort of over-activated or permanently switched on.
1: Yeah, correct. Absolutely. Yeah. And then for referral pattern means… That So L5, I have to go back to this terminology. So your, your lower segments in your back, they supply a lot of different muscles through your leg. But yes. if you have like a tight section in your back, it can refer pain to, you know, all the way down the back of your leg. And oh, Like
0: this, sciatica, I guess yeah. I heard that sort of thing.
1: Yeah. So it could be, but often it's a difference. Like sciatica can be like a really sharp sensation and pain where the nerve is really compressed. So this is more like a little bit of an irritation and it's more feels like a muscular achy pain. And people will say, yeah, I don't, I've don't, i got this pain in my leg and, you know, down the back of my leg. And a lot of people are like, oh, it's your hamstring. And it's like, well, no, it's actually the referred trigger point from further up in your back that's giving you that pain.
0: Okay. So the same sort of thing as sciatica, but not a sharp kind of pain like sciatic nerve.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. Well that's interesting to know. Yeah. Why is it dry needling? What does that mean?
1: <laughs> so if you think about say if you're getting an injection, that's wet needling because there's there's a fluid inside the needle. Okay. And those needles that, you know, say so you get your COVID vaccine or your booster yeah. shot or whatever. So um there's something inside the needle. Those needles are a lot thicker because they have liquid in them. So the needles that I use, it's dry needling because I'm just using the needle. I'm not injecting anything into your body.
0: Is it the same as a, like an acupuncture needle? It's
1: exactly the same as an acupuncture needle. Okay. Um, but, but it's based on trigger point patterns in the body and the musculoskeletal system, whereas acupuncture is more Eastern-based, and it's based on chi and the flow of energy in your body. So it's a very different the needles are the same, but the treatment is very different.
0: Is it different in the like the depth you talked about getting at deeper trigger points? Is the is acupuncture maybe more shallow or does it also go deep sometimes?
1: Um I am not an acupuncturist, but I have had acupuncture. It is more shallow. But the other thing is if you think about Acupuncture points. You know, they might stick needles in your ear or in your foot for headaches. Or so it's it's much more. It's based on a completely different um, system. It's based on meridians, um, I see. whereas dry needling is based on muscles and trying to change the structure and the function of a muscle to allow more free motion.
0: I got you. So it's okay.
1: two very different philosophies
0: right? The dry needling sounds more direct. You've got a problem in the muscle, you go to the muscle.
1: Very much so. And I think acupuncture, the um, real uh, benefit of acupuncture is more generally a systemic kind of um, condition, like, you know, um, suppressed immune system or perhaps people who can't sleep or they have um, digestion problems. Those kind of problems, uh, acupuncturists usually can help. Well, this is my opinion, more than, say, a musculoskeletal system.
0: Okay. I have had acupuncture also, and it actually, it had a really positive effect. Mm. But it seemed to be more like what you described as dry needling. And so maybe it was actually done more like a dry needling thing where Mm -hmm. I was having pain in my neck, and I had acupuncture needles put in my neck muscles.
1: Okay, yeah.
0: And what I had been told was that, oh, that will attract blood flow, Mm -hmm. which will promote healing.
1: Which, yes, and that's exactly right. So, that's another thing that the dry needling does do. It will change the actual structure and function of a muscle. But if you put it into like a non-contractile tissue, like a tendon or a ligament, it does help with blood supply. Absolutely.
0: Excellent. Well, let's get into what the different ways that it is used, and then we'll talk about what does it do. Mm-hmm. So I understand, I have read a little bit about it as we were. I was preparing for our talk today, that there's different ways of using this technique to deal with different kinds of situations where sometimes you're putting the needle in the knot and sometimes you're not putting it right in the knot because maybe that's too painful or something and you're putting it around it or near it. Can, can you just like tell us the different situations and the different uses of it and then mm-hmm. we can talk about what is happening when you put the needle in and then after the needle is withdrawn over time?
1: So, yes. First of all, you've got to look at your client. So, different people respond to very different modalities, even if they may have the same condition. Okay. Um, They have a different response to treatment so with some of my clients I might do a lot of needling if some of them I will do a little bit of needling and then some manual therapy and some cupping and some soft tissue mobilization so that that kind of differs with in terms of the situations dry needling is really helpful to treat pretty much all musculoskeletal conditions whether it's like neck pain back pain you know a uh, thumb issue tennis elbow golfer's elbow, Because it's trying to, if you have any kind of injury, what tends to happen is there tends to be spasm around that area. And so, if you can help to release that spasm and get blood flow to the area, then in the long term, you're actually really encouraging healing.
0: Yeah. So, the blood flow is where the healing comes from.
1: The blood flow, yeah. And the release of, so those little nodules that I was talking about, like the lentil and also the thick, muscle tissue that you might have, yeah. those, when when I put the needle in them, and then you get that twitch response, what it does is it releases the byproducts of muscle contraction um, into your bloodstream. Okay, so you're releasing, you're getting rid of that trigger point, you're getting rid of that sharp ridge and that heaviness in the muscle. And so releasing that into your bloodstream will then help the healing as well, because you don't have all these, um, it's almost like lactic acid type. Products sitting in your muscles, which make them feel really heavy all the time.
0: Well, and I can imagine that if the muscle is contracted permanently, then it's not getting blood flow or not getting much blood flow either.
1: No, it's not getting blood flow. And the other thing, if you if you think about the biomechanics, if you have tightness Uh, just perhaps let's look at think about your hip if you have tightness in your quad muscle or your hip flexor in the front of your hip then it's pulling your hip in a different position which can create back pain it can create hamstring tenderness so instead of you know but you release and you trigger point or you dry needle um, through your hip flexor and your quad and that will release the other thing so it will help balance your body a lot more
0: I got it. So, in terms of what it is doing, we've talked a little bit about that. It's doing a couple of things, and maybe it's really the same thing, but you tell me that it's reducing pain, but it's also helping the body to repair. So, at one point, I would have thought, oh, well, the healing, the repairing part is the same thing as reducing pain, but I have since learned that pain can sometimes come from your body For reasons other than damage, Mm -hmm. your brain is sending the pain signals for some reason that is not to do with damage. So merely healing the problem isn't enough. And I don't know whether that's involved in dry needling or not.
1: Well, yeah, because if you are, you know, you might be able to heal that specific area where you've had the pain, but you need to make sure that your whole body is in balance, right, to make sure that pain doesn't come back again. Yeah. And also that will help with the way that the brain foresees the pain as well. So sometimes you have an area in your body that is so used to just being painful all the time.
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: And so if you can give that part of your body a different kind of sensation, then that can be really helpful in getting that muscle and getting that area of your body to work again.
0: Right. Plus, I imagine there's some effect of just knowing that somebody is sticking needles (laughs) into your body in order to resolve it maybe gives your mind some comfort that something's (laughs) being done and there should be a change.
1: Yeah, it's quite dramatic sometimes. Like, I mean, if you get these big twitch responses, it affects your central nervous system, uh, absolutely, which, of course, your brain is part of your central nervous system. Um, and people can sometimes have really emotional responses to it. A lot of people will just be like, you know, they'll be lying on the table uh, table, and they'll have this massive twitch response and they'll be like, oh, I can feel my whole body relax, You know, it's not just that one section. Yeah, you know, our bodies and and the tension that we hold in um, our muscles, um, you know, that is connected to so much of, what you know, other emotions that you have, like, you know, anxiety and tension and stress. Um, Oh, sure. You know, and and everybody holds their stress in different areas, but um, it can be like this Big release and uh, this big flood of like blood flow to your body like it like and a and a warmth often people can sweat their sympathetic nervous system um gets stimulated a lot doing this some often their stomach will growl, you know there's all of these huh. <laughs> different central nervous system um side effects, which i mostly it, it they're really good,
0: yeah, well, that's very interesting. I mean, I know my own personal experience was different from that. So it's it's really fascinating to me to hear all the different ways that people react to the same experience. Oh, yeah. It's mm-hmm. interesting. Uh, let me just ask you if there's anything else that you think is worth sharing about dry needling before I move into kind of a, a higher level topic.
1: Mm-hmm. I guess the thing about dry needling is there's lots of different Ways to do it and to incorporate it into treatment. So someone will come in with shoulder pain and say, "Oh, I've tried to needling my shoulder; it hasn't worked." And it's like, "Well, perhaps you haven't been to the right practitioner because often, you know, they may have just treated the shoulder. You need to look at perhaps their neck and their thoracic spine, and needling in those areas could help your shoulder." Um, the other thing is, is you know what? Sometimes dry needling isn't for everyone so try something different but I do know that for um, athletes if you want to get back to doing you know what you love to do, it's a very efficient in terms of what I can cover and the change that I can make to someone's body in you know the few minutes that I'm needling and putting my hands on people I would have to see someone three or four times to get that same response just using my hands and other modalities so you can make a big change in a short period of time
0: well that was my experience okay good let's move into a different thing i want to i want to mm-hmm. ask you you've just been helping people for a long time and you've been and you're good at it people really get a lot of help from you so i'd like to gather some of your wisdom and so let me just start with this question about have you noticed anything that seems to be different about older endurance athletes are there issues that seem to be more common with older endurance athletes
1: yes definitely um so i guess the main thing you know as we all get older we just get tighter like i mean you know <laughs> and that's got to do with you know your your soft tissue gets tighter, your collagen kind of shrinks you know because we're not going through the same ranges of motion. Our bodies have gone through so much wear and tear through the training that you've done through previous years. And people often say to me, but I've always done this amount of training. Why is it now? I'm like, because you're older. And, you know, if you think about all of those miles that you've been doing and you haven't been stretching and looking after your body or having body work done, well, sometimes it just gets to the point where you really, really need to look after yourself as you're getting older and you still want to compete or you still want to get out there and hike and walk or ski or ride your bike. That's a really important thing.
0: I get it. So the fact that they're doing the same amount of exercise is is a point. But another point is that 20 years ago, they weren't a person who had 50,000 miles mm-hmm. in their body. so. Mm-hmm. They're a different person now than they were then.
1: Yeah. And as we get older, we, we don't heal as well. You know, your your, your skin tissue is inelastic. You know, you don't have as much blood supply. You tend to be sedentary a little bit more. You know, in terms of a lot of, you know, training for older athletes, if you think about the difference with that, training for older athletes, they say, you know, you need more rest. You need more recovery. Sure. So that's the same with your body but the thing to remember is is that and you know there's a lot of old school athletes out there that just like oh yeah I you know but I I'll just take a couple of weeks off well that used to be fine when you were young but if you just take the few weeks off whatever it is that you're doing that is creating the pain and then go back to it and then they're like yeah but it's still there I'm like yeah because you need to do something you need to be proactive like rest, yes, but then pre- act, be proactive as well. Get some body treatment, some dry needling, massage, whatever it is that you need to do to get rid of the problem.
0: Yeah, let's get into that a little more here. So now I'm, I'm looking for you to, as we get close to the end of our discussion here, get some advice from you. So for the 40, 50, 60, 70-year-old athlete, you know, whether mm-hmm. a new athlete haven't done it in a long time maybe they did it before but they're they're trying to get into it to try to get healthier or it's the person who's been doing it forever and they've mm-hmm. got a lot of miles in them what are would you say are some mistakes that you see people make and i and i don't mean the mistake of crashing their bike but i mean <laughs> things that they do to fail to recover properly or they're try- they treat themselves to deal with an injury in some way that, is, that doesn't actually help, but mm-hmm. maybe masks the problem and ultimately it makes it worse. And either it takes longer to heal or maybe they never quite fully heal if they waited too long. Anyway, mistakes. What well, comes to mind?
1: So I think the biggest mistake is to underestimate the value of mobility. Mobility is key. Um, to having good form um, because if you have good form, whether you're running, cycling, skiing, whatever, then you're less likely to have different pressures in certain areas of your body and so then you're less likely to get um, have over, overuse injuries.
0: Can you define mobility?
1: Sure. So mobility is like flexibility. So the ability to um, so some people are just super stiff through their hips and through their shoulders. They don't have the range of motion. Um, like, so one big push these days is for strength training for older athletes. Yeah. Great. Strength training for older athletes is fantastic. But if you don't have the mobility around the joint and you try and strengthen the joint, people are like, but I'm not getting any stronger. I can't get my glute to fire. Well, often the reason for that is because you don't have the mobility through the front of your hip. So your, you know, your, your hip flexors and your quads are so tight. You, of course, your glute isn't going to fire because it's not in a good position to work. Okay. So, being able to have good flexibility or mobility will allow you to have better form, will allow you to fire the correct muscles, will allow you to be more efficient, less prone to injury, faster, all those wonderful things that we want to be.
0: Okay. So, they've got to be able to move their body properly. Maybe it's true that they used to be able to, but they've been sitting for too many years, Um, maybe they've had injuries, and somehow they're not able to move properly, and you can't just try to get stronger to overcome that. You've got to do some work to get to where your body moves properly, then you can try to get stronger.
1: Exactly. Our bodies are so good at compensating you know, you can compensate, you know, your, your calf gets a little tight. So you kind of compensate, you change your run pattern a little bit to kind of um, so that it doesn't hurt as much. And you keep doing that and keep doing that. But then a point eventually, you'll get to this breaking point, where you've compensated so much, that it's just like, okay, your body's just gonna, something's gonna hurt now, <laughs> you know, right. um,
0: compensations on top of compensations.
1: That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's okay, you know, to have that to some extent to a little bit, but if you can eliminate those compensations, make sure that you have good range of motion. It's it's amazing. If you can just increase your mobility or, or your flexibility, say two, 3%, it has a massive difference then on the way that your muscles can fire and get strong. And then of course, on your performance after that.
0: So people should do stretching every day mm-hmm. and do range of motion work every day? I mean, what what is it you think that they should be doing?
1: Yeah, both of those things. So before you go to exercise, especially if, you know, I wake up in the morning and I'm stiff as a board and I'm kind of, you know, It takes me a while to warm up and then I I feel a lot better. But then, you know, if you wake up and you've got an early workout that you want to do, you actually need to do like five to ten minutes of just little bits of mobility, taking your hips or your shoulders or whatever it is through some full range of motion, okay, get all your joints lubricated, and then you'll find that your actual workout will be so much better than spending that little bit of time. After the workout, then... Um, more detailed stretching because your body's warm then, and so then you can elongate the muscles. Okay, so that that it's good to do kind of mobility stuff before stretching afterwards.
0: Well, so what about things like painkillers? Uh, you know, I mean, I I used to live on painkillers, <laughs> um, and I quit taking them because. Uh, ibuprofen was kind of the big one. And I had read that it actually slows the healing process. And I thought, oh my God, you know, I'm delaying my healing. No way, I'm not going to take it anymore. And I just let things hurt. But I could just imagine that when you uh, have an injury, especially as an older athlete, if I have an injury and something hurts, well, there's something wrong. And just making it not hurt that just kind of makes it not be top of mind, but it doesn't mean that I don't actually have the injury anymore. So if I go out and I exercise, I'm likely my, my brain is not connected to that injury anymore. And it's likely to let me do something that's going to make the injury worse. What do you think about painkillers?
1: Yeah, I, yeah, uh, let's avoid them. (laughs) Like, I mean, absolutely. Like you mentioned ibuprofen. So it's just masking the pain and it's allowing you to do something that, you know, and and, uh, your body is really shouldn't be doing at that point in time. Um, And then it actually encourages even further compensation. So um, that being said, though, after surgery or whatever painkillers are great because they allow you to move your body and to keep the mobility say if i had a shoulder surgery a reconstruction or a knee reconstruction um a total knee replacing allows you to get those uh, that um knee moving Uh and then allow then the muscles don't get quite so short uh and then it kind of helps your um Recovery down the line. But in terms of acute injuries, just to allow you to go out and, and run or to ride your bike and to take painkillers for that probably isn't doing you a favor. It's probably best to try and find something that you can do because, you know, we all like to exercise that you can do some kind of trust, cross training or yeah. address that injury now so that in the future you'll get back to being able to do it you know, the way that you want to do it. If you keep kind of babying it along and compensate, and I've done it myself numerous times where I'm like, oh, I'll just kind of, you know, and I, I keep compensating. Well, it's not getting any better, you know. It's just like you need to sometimes stop yeah. just for a short period of time to then make sure that you can do what you want to do and, and eliminate, like just, just get rid of that injury. Just make it go away and not come back again because if you keep doing that and you know, compensating with painkillers or you'll just, it'll become a chronic condition. And, and then when it becomes a chronic condition, it's because you've compensated. And then often that creates further injuries.
0: And probably what happens is that people are just used to the fact that sometimes they have little, they have pain, little niggles or whatever, and they go away and they're, yeah. they're just mm-hmm. expecting that. You know, or hoping that that's what's going to happen this time too. Mm-hmm. But I, I suppose that there is this point where you have to say, look, if I'm continuing to take painkillers to deal with that, and it's just not going away, well, that's not going to work. And there's a chance then, based on what you've said, that I'm actually going to make it worse. I'm going to make it a permanent problem. Mm-hmm.
1: So Absolutely. I guess that,
0: I'm not sure, maybe you have some advice for yeah, go ahead and hope it'll go away, but what would you say? When when should they say, "No, no, I I need to find out what to do."
1: Yeah. That's absolutely that's a it's a great point. So ignoring it and hoping it will go away, you know, we all have tried that. Usually that doesn't really work. <laughs> um with running um always like, you know, if it's like less than a 5 out of 10, yeah. And if it hurts A little bit when you start and then as you keep going it warms up and it feels better then that's okay and then when you stop after if it doesn't then if it's not worse then okay you can keep doing your activity but I still suggest getting some kind of treatment if it's a sharp pain if it's changing the way that you're running if it's changing the way that you're riding or swimming Um, So it's changing the normal movement pattern that you have um, and and it's um, or it gets worse during the activity or it's worse after the activity. Then those are the times when you just need to stop.
0: Right. If it's affecting the way you're doing the movement, then you're learning a new way of moving that you're going to have to unlearn somehow.
1: Mm hmm. That eventually is going to break because it's it's a compensation. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: All right. Okay. So, um, what else? Other advice that you might have, like on um, diet or that sort of thing.
1: Yeah. So, diet. I think the main thing. Well, I'm in Colorado and we're at altitude here, and so it's very dry. Um, I think that uh, making sure that you hydrate enough and you take electrolytes and you do have magnesium in your diet. I think that that is. Um, especially for endurance athletes is really important a lot of athletes complain of cramping
0: yeah
1: or you know or i'll see people and their muscles are just so tense and tight and once they get you know some magnesium in their diet or you know drink uh, enough electrolytes then that tension in their body um, changes or the, the structure of their tissue changes another thing is there's various when you start to get kind of whole body tightness and and kind of lockdown which i've seen in some athletes where everything just seems to get tighter and tighter so then you need to look at your diet and you need to think well you know processed sugar um can really do that to your body Um, And it can make your muscles very tense. Um, So can, um, for some people, gluten. And same thing with dairy tends to sometimes create more inflammation in people's bodies. So Mm -hmm. it's a good idea sometimes to, you know, see a dietitian, see a nutritionist, talk to your PT about things like that. Um, And I know a lot of people that I've treated, you know, We've tried a few things and it's kind of getting better, but it's slow. And then I start talking to them about their diet and they're like, oh, yeah, I'm a massive sweet tooth. You know, I have like five <laughs> cookies a day. And I'm like, you know what? You might want to stay away from those cookies. Or they're like, yeah, I wake up in the middle of the night and I'm cramping. And I'm like, well, take magnesium before you go to bed. And then, and also kind of balance it, you know, a little bit at night, a little bit in the morning. So, um, you know, make sure you hydrate. There's so many things that we need to do to look after our bodies.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Well, anything else that uh, you think you you see people do wrong or you think people should do to essentially stay out of your office?
1: (laughs) I think the main things, the two takeaways is, you know, don't cut out the mobility or the stretching for the workout. Okay. That is super important. So keep the, you know, you might, if you are running out of time, you might just need to shorten that workout a little bit. The mobility and the stretching are super important. And then, yeah. of course, the other thing, definitely, you know, look at your diet. Your body is is what you feed it. If you start putting junk in it, your body's going to start performing like that. And um, muscles yeah. like good, you know, clean, healthy food.
0: You are what you eat.
1: Yeah, that's, that's very true.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Well, Christine, this has been fantastic. Thank you. Is there anything else that you would want to add?
1: Um, If you need any further information or would like to chat about anything, I'm quite happy to respond to any email. So you can email me at christine with a ch at aussie-pt.com. And in the next um, few weeks, I'm actually doing a short mobility and uh, sorry, mobility and stretching series, and I'm going to be putting up some um, short videos on YouTube, so I'll link that oh. through to my website, and um, Joe, I'll, I'll reach out to you and give those to you as well. Yeah, so I've been thinking about this for a long time, um, and I've started getting um, a few of these together. Usually, they're just like 10 or 15 minutes each. Yeah. But I think, and it's this little routine that once you do it a few times, and you can do it along with me on the video, then it, it kind of is in your head, and um, it can be really helpful for a lot of athletes.
0: Great. Well, I'll get that email into the show notes and your website. I'll put in the show notes, and then when the videos come out, I'll add them to the if they come. I, I assume that they'll they won't be ready in the next week, which is you know when I'll get the podcast out. I'll add them after the fact, but they surely mm-hmm. would be able to find them through your website. Is that right?
1: Yes. Yeah. Through my website or on Facebook or Instagram.
0: Okay. I'll get all of those yeah. links then. And and yeah. if you've even got uh, like your own page on YouTube, I'll get that link from you as well. And so mm-hmm. the show notes is where people can find things. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much, Christine, uh, both for sharing all of your knowledge here with us today. Well, not all of it, but <laughs> uh, 45 minutes of it. And, um, and also for the help that you gave me the couple of times that I foolishly crashed my bike and Mm -hmm. needed some help.
1: Mm -hmm. Thank you, Joe, it's been great
0: talking to you. Have a great day. You too. Alrighty, bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening in to my discussion with Christine Bell, the Aussie PT, about dry needling and her top tips for older athletes on staying healthy. You can find more information about Christine in the show notes. And while you're there, you can sign up to take a free fitness practices assessment send us a question to address on the podcast, see all of our episodes, subscribe to our podcast, and you can sign up for our newsletter. If you're on social media and enjoyed this episode, please post about it. That'd be a great help. Thanks again.